strong companies, lasting partnerships, powerful events. Welcome to the Experience Builders Podcast. Chris, it is uh, finally cooling down. I don't know if you were ex- you've been exhausted by the heat this summer, but it's been over. I was going to say, speak for yourself, Khalil. Not only <laughs> is it a sweat box in Florida, uh, we had a terrible lightning storm this weekend, and it knocked out the air conditioning. So I walked in this oh, morning. It was a man. It was it was a balmy eighty five in the office, and uh, when I went into one of the rest <laughs> went into one of the restrooms, I was reminded of my all my childhood memories at the YMCA. Right. You know, that feeling when you walk into the locker room. Yes. And you're. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. Well, I I, I'm feeling a little bit cooler, (laughs) but hopefully it cools down for you sooner. Uh, I know it's always a little bit warm in Orlando. Yeah, Uh, I appreciate it. Man, what's good these days for you? You know what? It's been a um, it's been a good a good week since we last talked. So I can three things. Um, One top of the list. I just moved my daughter into her college apartment. over the wow. weekend. Um, well, it was, it was like a three, day, three day. My wife and I went over and it was the slow disengage. I remember um, when my my dad took me to the airport uh, August 8th of 19. Uh, and, uh, and, he, and, he, and he handed me an extra hundred dollars and he and he said, um, I'll see you at Christmas. Right. And that was and I was on my way to University of Oklahoma. So it was a um, little different when we're launching girls out of the nest i learned but yeah uh, i'm sure but that was um but she's gonna do great i'm excited for um two other things worth mentioning finally yay we found uh secured and signed a lease on our uh uh, new las vegas facility so six weeks from now we take possession of that super super excited about moving in there i know a lot of our partners have been waiting for that news and uh so we take possession on october one and we will be um uh, building in Q4 for the January show run out there. So that's great. And then uh, I don't know if I mentioned last time we spoke, I've got, we're hiring nine or 10 people between our two locations in Orlando and Vegas. Uh, we have five uh, that we've signed in the last 10 days and two, uh, I just couldn't be happier. High level uh, management, one 10 year veteran uh, ops manager we got from GES, another 30 year uh, general manager veteran for, uh, nth degree. So his, his labor operations bona fides are huge. He's starting as our general manager in Orlando. So great, great week on the talent acquisition front for us, man. Man, not always the case. Hiring is such a challenging thing and something you want to do right. So glad that you're finding good fits and excited for how it's going to continue to grow crew XP. Yeah. Man, we've got an exciting topic today, Chris. We're talking about understanding and knowing what business you're actually in. Uh, and it, I think you, I'm sure listeners are a little confused maybe by the question here, but uh, it's it's such an important thing. And I'm glad that you're hiring with the understanding of what business you're in because, man, there's nothing worse than hiring employees and increasing your overhead when you actually don't know what game you're playing. Uh, yeah. But there's some things that we're going to be talking about today, and I'll, I'll kind of give a, a run through really quick for our listeners of the things we're focusing on. So to start out, you understand your business when you have a vision, when you have a really clear market, you have a target audience and a core offering for them, and then you have a unique value proposition that sets you apart, and it's what you're known for. And finally, but probably the most important is that you have margins, uh, so we're going to go through all these uh, one by one here today, but I, I want to start with the analogy of a basketball game, how sometimes you're, you're in business and you're running day to day and you've got so many tasks and you actually don't take a step back and realize what game you're playing, what business are you in? And it would be like if you were playing basketball and you thought that you were playing dodgeball, but everybody else around you is playing basketball and you're throwing the ball at the other team and they're like, thanks. And they go and score. And instead, you should be playing basketball with them. You should understand what the rules are, and you should be playing that game. And also, we'll talk about this with margins, but you should know what, how to keep score and what the scoreboard is. Uh, and that's one of the biggest like light bulb moments for most people when they're, they don't understand their business. They do look at the scoreboard. They get their financial statements from their accountant, and they're like, what? I've been working so hard, and I've got nothing to show for it. So anyways, we will we will jump into this a little bit, but... 
for you, Chris, I want to know what does it mean to to know what business you're in and to not know what business you're in? Wow, that's what a great topic. And uh, by the way, when you were talking about dodgeball versus basketball, I'm like, oh my God, he has sat through some of our sales meetings. He's seen us throwing <laughs> stuff at each other. And I think we've all, we, we, we've all been there. Um, no, you know, so this pandemic has been an interesting experience. Um, our industry, which I know everybody, if you're still here and you're listening to this, you're a survivor, right? So you, you know that we survived this near extinction event. We were shuttered for 16 months. Um, I love the expression I heard the last two years. It's really, for me, has been the great rethinking. Uh, and really, it's, it's forced me to um, apply the discipline well, in a lot of ways. But one of the ways is deciding who we, who we are and, more importantly, who we're not. So, uh, again, 40, 41 full-time employees all the way down to five. Now we're starting to be back up. I think, I think you asked about the pain of who, you know, not knowing who you are. I think we've all been there. I have chased revenue just for revenue because I thought that's what we needed to be able to grow and expand and add more people and add more inventory and maybe open in a new location where we could service people. And it was we really weren't thoughtful enough about um, why we were doing what we were doing. I think that was our, some of our pre-COVID mistakes. So now, um, with much more purpose, I, I'm, I'm saying, okay, who are, who, who are we really? And if we're going to spend money, at the same time, we're going to dig out of the hole of, that the last two years got us in. We just need to be very purposeful in, uh, in what we're doing. So, um, and by the way, I've talked to so many um, businesses and members in EDPA and IAEE and ESCA and in the labor companies and the EACA, and everybody's in the same boat. We all want to get back, but we acknowledge it's, you just can't go back to the way it was, and nobody's, nobody's expecting it to be exactly how it was. So, um, so I, for me, it's, it's saying, okay, we believe our path and our vision, our future is going to be working with fewer customers in a more focused way. Uh, we want to be more in service to less customers, uh, if you will. Um, you know, I've walked through my shop and I've seen 18 projects going on any given day. And we're building planner boxes for somebody to ask us to go planner boxes. And we're building a trade show exhibit over here. And somebody else, you know, shipped us nine crates and said, can you refurbish this? And oh, by the way, I need it done in three weeks. We just said yes to everything because we thought revenue was the answer to help us achieve our vision. And I, I think, what, if I'm honest, I didn't do a good enough job really defining that and communicating that to everybody. So um, new post-pandemic discipline is know who you are and choose who you are. Decide who we're going to be. And, you know, as we've talked about before, Cleo, you know, this – by, by just saying I'm going to do that, all of a sudden it makes me say, okay, well, then what are we going to offer? Who's our customer? It's not to everybody. Um, it's it's going to be to a, a more finite group. Uh, in my particular case, you know, Crew XP does not serve exhibitor brands directly. So we do not work directly with exhibitors. That's, you know, a couple of million businesses we're saying no thank you to. We only work with trade partners, um, uh, custom houses, uh, exhibit dealers, experiential agencies, and we fulfill for their customer projects. We're the guys behind the guys. And so, um, you know, I don't need a direct sales force, right? My partners provide, they target and acquire customers. We're just in service to them. I'm not trying to be in every uh, event city in North America. Um, we're picking two places, uh, arguably the two busiest places where our build shops are going to be and that's Las Vegas and Orlando and we provide labor in some other places but you know our we're very strategic those are our hubs what's a one day's you know truck drive so we can deploy quickly because lead time is such a critical part of what the market is wanting right now also more affordable transportation can we deploy quickly and affordably so all of a sudden you know instead of you know 50 cities and 50 states we are we're focused on about 10 U.S. cities from two main hubs. And um, we believe, and with a collection of partners 
that have a customer base and we're either their overflow shop or uh, we're the primary back room in those cities for people that aren't in those cities. So really instead of, um, you know, by, by being more in service to fewer people, it also has is, is helped us realize from two main hubs, you know, we can service about 10 U.S. cities. We're not trying to be, you know, in 50 locations in 50 states, uh, trying to be all things to all people. And it is, it's been liberating. And more importantly, um, what we found is um, we're serving our customers better and we're, we're, we're a more profitable company doing that. It's fantastic. And it's such an important lesson to learn and one that I, you can learn it without having the experience of going through the hard times and learning from trial and error uh, and learning from failing. But it, it really hits home whenever you have gone through those down times. Um, I, I want to really get into the meat of this conversation and talk about how we, as business owners, can run better businesses and know the business that we're in. So that first thing that we mentioned was that you need a vision in order to know what business you're in. And I think that vision is such a mushy word for a lot of people. It means a lot and nothing at the same time. Um, but I love the quote by Helen Keller. Let's see if I can get it right. Uh, how terrible it must be to be able to see, but not have any vision. And uh, mm -hmm. coming from a blind woman, I think that means a lot. But uh, I, I think the vision is, you mentioned earlier, knowing who you are and who you are not. And I think a vision for your company is knowing who you want to become and also not knowing by knowing who you want to become, knowing who you don't want to become. And it's so easy for us to focus on just what we are doing each and every day. And we get wrapped up in putting out fires and dealing with the tasks that just make us work hour upon hour that we're not able to step back and understand what we're actually working towards and who we're becoming as a company. Yeah. And so whenever you are looking to you know, a, a vision as your North Star rather than just, am I getting my task done today? It really changes the, the way that you play the game. And I, I want to ask in the industry, who are the people that you think have, have the best vision and how do you see that play out? You don't have to tell me any names of companies, but how do you see that play out for their businesses? You know, this, again, this, what a, this, this is a great conversation. So I, it's funny about kind of that slippery, mushy word vision, right? Because somebody once told me, if you look up vision in the word, in the dictionary, it, it says the definition is crappy with details, right? This is, this is, and so I always liked being the vision guy, but if I'm honest, again, after the great rethinking and a couple of years to reflect, I don't know that I did a good enough job painting that picture in detail. Um, yeah, I'm hoping for me, I think the vision for a company in a direction should be something that when you're communicating, you're articulating it to your team, they don't need you to come in on a weekly meeting and do a pep talk and remind them. They're able to internalize it and see it, right? So um, the, thing, the thing I hear talked about most, Khalil, in, in, in the post-pandemic era in my industry is people are talking about the need for great partnerships. I think everybody's a little hesitant to run back to 100% of the staff they were, 100% of the infrastructure spend. You know, if you were in 200,000 square feet for your facility and you've downsized to 50 or 80, are you ready to jump back with another 100,000 square feet and all the people that, and all the equipment that you need? The answer is no. So I'm hearing more and more really successful companies that I look up to, the ones that were 50, 80, 100, $150 million companies, they're rethinking their own strategy. Um, and I'm not going to name them because I, not everybody likes to admit what they outsource. But, you know, one of the reasons we've chose our vision to be just an amazing, trustworthy partner. We always were doing IND labor, uh, you know, installation and span labor uh, for companies that uh, sent their customers to cities where we were in. I think labor companies know what it's like to be that partner. Um, I think for us to be more in service, we're now a build partner. We're now a partner that if we're in that city, fewer cities, I want to actually know more about the city. So if you need a caterer for your client's big brand event in Las Vegas, I don't do catering, but I'm a level one door kicker, man. And I'm going to be able to plug you into two or three people. And by the way, let me get out of the way. I don't need to make 10% on it or 15% on it. I think that's 
pre-pandemic, a lot of people were doing, you know, how do we make a few bucks a little bit on a lot of stuff? Um, I think if we're honest, we find we just get in the way in that moment. And the market is not allowing for that many layers of, of involvement. So for me, uh, our vision is um, we've narrowed it down and focused, which I believe that's going to allow us to pick up more speed and velocity becoming that company. We serve wholesale partners, agencies, build shops, exhibit dealers. We do it primarily in the two busiest uh, event cities uh, in North America, Las Vegas and Orlando. Um, we also provide help in the suburb markets, Southern California and Phoenix in one, in Atlanta, New Orleans, and basically anywhere in Florida. By the way, 52% of all business events in the U.S. happen in those 10 or 12 cities I just named. I have no shortage of opportunity. Right. My question to our listeners is, are you looking at your own business that way? Maybe you don't need to be everywhere, right? Yeah. If you're in Indianapolis, you're a driving distance to Chicago, which is a major, major venue city. Now, if you have big brand clients and they travel all over the world, obviously you have to have a, a, a network of partners you can lean on. I love the new word. It's really no longer a network, right? We call it, it's called a collective. Hmm. So are you developing your own personal network? Are you developing a business collective? I'm probably not going to run out and buy $2 million of LED skin, you know, AV infills for, for giant seamless walls, even though I have thousands of the, the aluminum frame walls. Um, can I have a partner that can be that, that, that thing for me? If we're project managing it, we might make uh, a fee for being the project manager. But, um, you know, I think this is what everybody's having to think about as they're building back without the capital and uh, the infrastructure to do all of it in-house. Just just look around and, and do you have great partners? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you've put a lot of thought into your vision and they're the, the great companies that you see operate off of that vision. And I, I think you're you're doing a fantastic job. And I think just like you said that, do you really need to be everywhere? The next thing is, do you really need to be serving everyone? Like it's, it's scary going down from, like you said, you were reaching out to exhibitors and you had this huge pool of business. And then you said, okay, no, we're only going to be working with the yes. build shops and the experiential agencies and the dealers. But there is a market there. Yeah. And, and that's the next thing that you have to have is you have to, that you need a market, but you need a specific market. It's not just, yeah, everybody and everywhere and everything, right? Like that is a recipe for disaster. My, my theory it on is. this actually, Chris, is that we're so used to seeing like the Walmarts and the Amazons of the world do exactly that play. They're, they're on the volume game. That is the business they are playing. And they're able to discount and reach out to everybody and be everywhere. But as a small business, small to medium business, that's not your game. <laughs> you do not need to be competing with Amazon and Walmart, let alone just the, the biggest companies that are out there. How was it? How did you finally decide that we need to focus on that market of, of just those, you know, those people that are in the experiential uh, agency space, exhibit, exhibit dealers and the build shops? So great. Again, great questions. I think, um, so just listening to you right there, I'm reminded of how challenging it was getting started, right? From zero to 500,000 in revenue. And I think, uh, and then from 500,000, I think from zero to 500,000 when I first started my business, uh, and many I've heard this from, you know, you could work out of your house mm -hmm. and you get to keep almost all of your gross profit, right? From 500,000 to a million, almost all of your gross profit goes back. You have to get your first small office, right? You have to hire an employee or two. Um, you know, you're doing things like payroll, even if it's just for a, a few people. Um, you're not really doing the thing that you love doing that you got into business for. It's, you know, great book, right? The E-Myth Revisited, if you've ever read that by um, is it Michael Gerber. Uh, look at you. Look at I just teed that up for you. <laughs> Um, that wasn't planned yeah, for listeners. Terrific. Just, uh, it, you know, holding up the book. No, no, no. Right. But it's just a great, easy read about a woman who just loves to bake pies. And she learned what it's like to, you know, I'm so great. At, I opened a place and now I have an employee and now I have to do payroll and order supplies. And so, I, you know, I think you really have to love business to be a business person. But, um, you know, you so I 
when did when did I hit that point where when can you hit the point where you can you can choose? Uh, honestly, as a, you know, guilty with an explanation, you have to get to a certain amount of revenue, I think, to sustain a basic level of help. It might be you even if you're a top salesperson, you might even do this within the exhibit company or experiential company you work for. You're a, you're a top producer and you have your own project manager and you have a project coordinator and you have departments that are like, it's almost like you're running your own business, right? And then you're outsourcing to, uh, to these departments that are going to build for you and do graphics for you and paint for you and ship for you. And okay, great. But there may come a time you, you find um, an outsourced partner and go, well, I just, there's no way I can build this on a client's budget here in North Carolina and ship it all the way to San Francisco without a ton of the budget being eaten up on these behind the scenes costs and the client's not going to feel like they're getting much for that. So, I, you know, this is where there's companies that do that and there's, God bless, there's clients that have budgets that can afford all of that. I think most of us, you, you, we start and we get to a base, a base level of revenue where we're at that ledge and we can breathe and say, okay, what do I really want to do? And what do I want to be? I look around, you, you know, we, you asked me to mention a couple of companies. There's two um, we've done some work with this quarter. Um, I, I like the people at Hill and Partners, and that's a, that's a brand name that's known in our industry. Um, they're not known for fabricating in-house. What they are known for is they are a leader in strategic and creative work, and they're amazing project managers. So whether you build it all in a back room or you got to shop up the street, you cannot devalue the expertise and the talent that they bring. Uh, another agency, an experiential agency we work with called Event Strategy Group. Um, they work all over the globe. And so they need to have a collective that can fulfill. I think one of their VPs right now is in Bali at, a, at an executive conference, which is one of the events they're doing for, uh, for uh, one of their customers. And you go, who the heck do you know in Bali? Most people don't know anybody, but they're a firm that has developed that because they work um, in that you know, that uber big brand space where um, we've got to be able to compete globally. And so they spend time building their resources. My point is everybody listening has a thing that they are passionate about that they can do. But I just think you have to choose, a, choose to be in that business and then thoughtfully determine what resources do I have to line up? Are we going to do that in-house? Or are we going to create our own network or collective to be able to fulfill, realizing we might Make less margin because we're not the doers, right? We're the creative team. We're the strategic team. But the guys that have invested 100000 in a facility, well, they're going to make a piece too, right? And the people that do the project management and the logistical coordination, that's another piece. I, I'll, the final thought on this, Khalil, is I always look at the face of a clock when I think about an event. Mm. And I realize that, you know, 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock is the cre creative and strategic time. And, you know, 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock is, is the, the logistical planning and the project management uh, part of it. And eight o'clock to midnight is the, is the fulfillment. It's the fabrication and the delivery. I'm an eight o'clock to midnight partner for a lot of people. <laughs> I'm a four, four o'clock to midnight partner for some smaller folks or, or even the big guys that want to outsource a project to make. To make. I'm fluent in the one o'clock to four o'clock creative and strategic, but it's not one of our core offerings. I can sit at the table and add value as part of your team, and but it's not what we do. We don't go get those end users. And again, we've chosen that as our vision and our path. And I, I, but I will say this: it is just liberating to know who you are and admit who you're not, and then work like hell to add value in the in the who you are side of it. Amazing. I like that, I like that, that analogy. The face of the clock. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it helps you understand the flow too. Yeah. Every event is on the clock, right? And if mm -hmm. you just think of it as we know it's we know every project's on the clock, every event's on the clock. So think about it in in those terms. And and that's what I did. And when I when I decided to 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 say, okay, who re, who are we really? Yeah. And who are we not? Yeah. And let's not be afraid to say that out loud. Right? Yeah. No. And and that's important. I think so many people do the things that they do in business because they're worried about a reputation rather than their character. And whenever they're worried about their reputation, they will do things to appease people they that actually don't care about them, that don't, you know, consider their value or their worth and are just using them. But they 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 really do it for their reputation rather than for their character. And that's when you can run into trouble. You know, we 
we, we've talked about needing that market and need to understand that market. And that you obviously had a firm grasp on things in your market. But the, the next thing, which is so important to all marketing, all sales, is really understanding your target audience inside of that market. Because at the end of the day, QXP or whatever business you're in, you're not going to be able to service everybody in your market. It's just not going to happen. You have competition and you're yeah. only so big. Uh, you don't want to get to the point, probably by yourself at least, where you are servicing everybody in a monopoly inside this space because it would just be a headache. But maybe you do. We, Who knows? By the way, we we have a name for that, it, that, that type of an individual. We call him Dan Griffin. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I just, I, I, I tease my brother Dan about this all the time because his, he's such a big heart. He just, he's all in on every project. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind him, it's like, Dan, you know what? Look, let's kick a door open and introduce him to somebody. We don't, you know what? We just, we're, we're not, we're not those guys for that. That's not who let's, we are. Let's, let's, let's introduce them to somebody who, who can help them with that. So, yeah. Well, with that, like with your target audience, uh, inside of your market, being able to really identify your target audience on a deep level allows you to be customer focused and yes. the, the customer focused people that typically win. Now there's a lot, that's a jam packed, there's a whole episode on that, but yeah. uh, who is your target audience? How do you really define who you're talking to, who you're servicing, who you're working with? Boy, that's great. And just so I'm clear, um, are we talking about as a, a company, a customer profile? Or are we talking about individuals that we Man. typically see ourselves working within those company partners? Both. I mean, you bring up a, a great point. We have customer profiles in business, and it's so important to have those customer profiles to identify whether someone's qualified or not qualified and how we should be running the ad or how we should you know, tailor our offerings, all those things. If you don't have customer profiles, research ideal customer profiles, ICPs, really valuable exercise for your business. Yeah. But even, I mean, who is your ICP? How did you come up with your ICP? And then who are the real people too? So we're breaking up with the last couple of years, we've decided to break up with what I call the discount your way to victory customers. Right? <laughs> and I, and, and I, I appreciate everybody's trying to make a margin and make a living. Right. But, um, you know, those folks that'll leave us for a hundred dollars cheaper. Um, and I know, my friends that are listening on this podcast, we all have those clients. Um, those people that you'll do a great job. And I'll tell you, Cliff, we're, we're in a hard business, right? The event business is a hard business. You've got, you know, five to 10 variables that every event manager has little to no direct control over. So you're just having at the event to sort of respond to a lot of these variables and how they show up, which can be completely unpredictable. But um you know, we, we've chosen to move more up market to people that realize um, if we're doing the fulfillment for you and we're, you know, I, we're the forward deployed guys that have made an investment in those cities like Las Vegas and, or and Orlando um, to be in service to our partners and those folks that appreciate the investment of Wade, so we investment that we've made so we can respond quicker so that we've invested in local people and local knowledge so we can deliver a more hassle-free experience. That's really what a lot of our partners are after is um, because they're already being, I don't want to say they're set up to fail, but they're set up with a lot of these variables um, very, very last minute. And if you don't have in-country local boots on the ground teammates, um, you really are just, it's a hard ride from afar to hear about problems or challenges happening in Chicago or San Francisco or Vegas or New York or wherever. Um, and, and you're just, you're sitting in your, you know, apartment or your, your home in Minneapolis going, Oh my God, I should have gone. Or I, you know, I don't even know if there's anything you could have done, but I think so, so thoughtfully choose the partner and we're trying to choose the customers that think like we're choosing. And we will, we know, I insist our partners make money. We know our partners have to make money. I think the hardest part, and I just had this happen a week ago, um, there's a really great gentleman who started his own business in California. Um, we had a conversation in March, um, wanted to get to, he goes, I've heard of you guys, but I don't really know what you do. I explained who we are, we're the guys behind the guys. You know, uh, <laughs> he, he, said, he said, okay. And I said, this is typically the kind of people we work with. Here's who we don't work with. but 
if you have a realistic budget and, and a client with a project, here's why we're good. We have inventory locally to build with. We build around our own shops. You know, our graphics, we no longer produce in-house, but we do such a volume. Our pricing is very competitive. We own our local trucks. We have our own union labor contracts. We're the guys, if you can't make money with us, right, then um, something's, something's wrong. But um, somebody called, this gentleman called the other day, and he had, a uh, client had about a $45,000 all-in budget to work with. Um, I think we were able to turn key. Uh, when we deliver a project, we typically include five things, the flooring, the exhibit hardware, some basic avian furniture, right, that may be part of that, uh, that's, that exhibit environment, the graphic messaging that goes on it, the delivery to and from show site, and the professional labor to take, set it up and take it down. Those five things. We were probably around 35000 I think the client's budget was 45 to 50. He still had to fly in. Um, there's, a, there's a costing average in our, in our business of about $150 a square foot to $200 a square foot. He wanted 400 square feet. Budget, realistically, most people, companies, end users are gonna spend 60 to $80,000. The budget was low for an end user. This gentleman would have made some money as a partner, but um, wasn't comfortable giving us a, he said, yeah, I, I, you know, you're a little high on this. And I'm like, well, we're, we're really not. It's just what the cost is right now for the freight, given the disruption and the labor in that market and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So right. the hard part is when you go, I think this got, this company, this new company is going to be a good partner. This is the type of company we want with. But we also realize not every project is we're a good fit for. So mm-hmm. It was, a, it was a good conversation. We said in the end, I said, we're probably not going to be your best option. I hope you keep us in mind. He, he absolutely said he would. Um, I think we talked a little bit about whether the end user was just, you know, trying to get more for less in an unrealistic way. But and all of us have gone through this, no matter what our business yeah. is and what niche we serve, right? So I think we have to just be honest and see that for what it is. Um, sometimes you're, you're going to get 10 no thank yous to find you know, three yes pleases, you know, this is a good <laughs> fit. So um, just be grateful. Well, I guess this wasn't it. Um, we try and, and very quickly within 24 hours, we'll look at a project and give a go, no go. We think this could be work before we all spend hours and hours estimating and getting into it with each other. We try and give you a, a yeah, your nay of whether we think it's good. Be. But anyway, that's just, I think this makes us a good tool yeah. in the tool, in the tool bag of, agencies and, and exhibit houses, ultimately they have to decide how they're going to solve their clients. They're the one with the client. We're just yeah. in service to them. And ultimately whatever client they point us at. But uh, yeah, I, the vision, I guess part of my vision uh, statements to my own team now, Khalil, is it's okay if it doesn't work out. Um, you know, Absolutely. We're, we're just, it's, I'd rather say no, thank you on this one than say mm-hmm. yes and do no and we lose a partner for life because we just overpromised yeah. our underdelivered right. And we all know what that feels Absolutely. like. Man, so much with that. And you know, I think we were gonna talk about it later, but I think this is such a good time to talk about it that it's it's really tempting to say yes to those kinds of projects. Like mm-hmm. you've 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 invested so much time into the the bidding process, into the relationship, you've had multiple calls and you really like the person, you, you're worried about your reputation maybe in the back of your mind with this person. Um, you know they do a lot of volume maybe and you, you wanna be a part of that. But whenever they're not gonna be the right fit for you, whether it's on price or the process that you use or whatever it might yeah. be. I mean, it, I was watching a movie uh, last night called The Fourth of July. It's a Louis C.K. movie, highly recommend it, but talks of, there's it's related to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous in some capacity. and. This guy's trying to help this guy not drink. He's like, man, but just that first drink, I wish I could have it. And he's like, well, the problem is don't think about the first drink because it's not going to end at the first drink. Think about the last drink. What happened in the last drink? And it's such such an important thing to remember when you're you're tempted to say yes to to the wrong fit. Don't think about the revenue at the front end. The, yeah. the first interaction. Think about the, the the back end when your employees are stressed out because it's a job that you know they have to do it on crunch or it's not really what you guys do typically. And so they have to come up with you know problem solving on the fly or you're not making money and an accident happens. So now you're down in the hole. You're, you're having to pay for the mistakes. Just that's the, the what you need to be thinking about whenever you say no. And that's so why you're saying no. 
So in the last drink in my world is that I, we call it the conflict resolution call, right? You know there was a problem. Somebody's, <laughs> want, somebody's wanting you to reimburse or give them back something. And if you really reverse engineer how you got to that moment, you can find where you failed early in the process, right? Where you go, yeah. you know what? We never should have taken this or we should have. We should have held our ground and said, these are the actual costs that, you know, as much as I want to help you, I just, I, you know, it's just, it is what it is. So whenever I find we have made those concessions and right. And I, you know, it's, I, I really would like us to have a deeper discussion about the death spiral in another episode because it's so sure. critical and I've lived there and, but giving concessions, right. Is one of those things that can get you in trouble. You know, we all do it to get a deal. You know, client's budget is 40 or 50 and they want 5,000 bucks worth of free stuff. And, you know, you find a way to go, okay. And you convince yourself it'll be okay. And really what you've done is it's money that you needed in the project for yeah. all the reasons it was there to begin with. Right. Nobody, <laughs> you know, most, most good companies don't overbid. Um, you know, we, we sure don't. We, we just, I want you know, we know what our, our minimum requirement is and we want to, we have to make that to still be here and be in business and to serve others. But when we go below that, it's, we either have to get super lucky, right? And that doesn't exist. Murphy's law is alive and well on the trade show floor, Khalil. And I, there's, yes. there's hundreds of heads nodding right now that are watching this because we all know that to be the case. But anyway, um, yeah, I, you know what I'd, it was hard to say no to that nice partner who I really wanted to get in the game with. But I think we both kind of kind of shrugged and nodded and we understood the situation. And I really hope yeah. we get to saddle up and ride together again on something. Yeah. And it, it, could, it could work out. And there's no, you know, we talked about reputation in the past. There's nothing really that solidifies your reputation more than when you're able to, to walk away from something that yeah. could looks appealing. And the other person's like, oh, wow, well, it's not a good fit. I respect him for being honest, you know, uh, yeah. rather than saying yes. And, you know, you either running out of a deficit or not being able to deliver and it running into the ground. But you're, um, you're right about the reputation, right? I'd rather those go, oh, I know those guys are, oh, man, I love those guys. But I don't want conversations when you hear crew XP to start with. I, want, I don't want to, I don't want the conversations to start with the phrase, those freaking guys. Oh, my God. Don't yeah. even talk to me about it. And that's, you know, you can get in trouble and yeah. in, in this business just like that. So absolutely. So we've talked about that, you know, if you're going to know what business you're in, that you have to have a vision, you have to have a market, you have to know your target audience really clearly. And you've already kind of gone into this or you, you that you need a core offering. And you've talked about your, your core offering, the five things that you guys do. Um, I think that it's really easy to stray away from that core offering. Uh, you may start with one, but because you you want to get in the game and you 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 see people throwing a ball around and you want to jump in, <laughs> yeah, you, you you really quickly start to get involved in a different kind of game because you're trying to be all things to all people. How did you? Or let, let's even talk about the design, the experiential agencies, and the the build shops. How do you think they run into trouble? without having that really solidified core offering. I know the, the partners that you have are probably, you know, really solid on their core offerings because you've, you've really chosen to select few, but the ones that are out there that are making the mistakes, what do you see them running into? Are they trying to do some of the things that you do on, on their own? That's interesting. So, um, yeah, I, I think, um, the partners that we see do it really well, you know, they, they have a system of how they do it and just, to be clear to listeners, a system is just an agreed upon method of how you do business with each other in your own company. Um, so you might have a list of vendors that you use for, could be for freight or for graphics or for labor or whatever, but it's a written list and you, you force rank that. So it's preferred maybe by market. We know these guys are great in Philly. These guys are great in Chicago and these guys are great here. We know that we always want to have our graphics done locally or we produce them in-house because the quality and fit and finish matters or whatever that is. If you're choosing a, a company like us, you've, you've probably tested us on a project uh, and you know, we've had to pass that test before you and trust us with, with more. So I think, um, 
I think it starts with um, the good ones have have a process, and and I think the other thing is, you know, the bigger guys that will outsource, um, they do that because they're at capacity in their own shop, and they don't try and burn out their own people, or they don't, do, you know, when you're running, I, if you've ever run, you know, two shifts or or twelve hour shifts, I know that we always cut at twelve hours with our crews. Because at 12 hours, it goes to double time. And I promise you this, labor, shop, graphics, you're paying the most money for the absolute sloppiest work because people get, exa- <laughs> because people get exhausted. They just They're do. not machines. And you go, and, and I, man, we used to be those guys that go, we're on 37 hours and we're warriors, man. And, you know, that's why you hire us. And it's like, you can't even pour a drink without spilling it on the table over there. Right? So... Yeah, you know, I think that's some of the maturity that comes with, you know, time and experience is, um, you know, I, I, again, our vision of doing more work for fewer companies. Um, I didn't really mention this, Khalil, but one of the reasons we did that was be to try and bring the joy back into our own lives. Um, we were burning people out and man, and this labor market, which is so disrupted and so understaffed. Right. You just you can't afford to lose the people you have, let alone hard enough to find new people. Right. So I, I'm i a fan of structuring my business. Um, you know, I need everybody to work hard, but let's figure out how to have fun and bring some joy back. And that doesn't mean four hour work days. When you're here, we work. But um, at least we can do is sort of have a va- valet guard at the gate and, you know, not let in the booby trapped uh, projects that we've all seen slip through the door before. And I think that's, that's another mantra of ours as we're moving forward. And I, you know, I, I'll maybe a confession here, and this sets us up for another episode. Um, we had a phenomenal first six months and put some money in the bank. We took advantage and paid attention. We're able to fund with one of the, um, the small business government, uh, uh, loan programs, the, uh, the idle loan. It's allowed us to have some money um, to invest. It's debt. As an owner, I decided to take that on. But um, I will say this, having a little bit of money set aside does allow you to be selective and be more disciplined. Because if we've all, I know what it's like to sweat payroll every week. I did it for 30 years. And it's one of the things that makes you chase that revenue monkey up the tree when you really shouldn't be climbing that tree that high. so I will say, uh, and yet the, um, the lending markets for particularly for the trade show and exhibitions industry are not back to normal because our balance sheets are still, you know, a lot of us haven't built back enterprise value yet. So um, that's a challenge. And so I'm, I, I say this fully aware with gratitude and how, how fortunate I am that I can make these decisions. I did get a, a my business was able right. to receive loan and, and it's a nice long payback and I, we, I have to make good decisions so we can afford to do that. But, um, it starts with building the company we, we believe in, not what we just hope works out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not a, uh, it's not a full on rescue the loan. It's just a little bit, it gets your head out of the water, you know? Um, so it's, and you gotta, you still gotta tread a little bit and you still gotta make the right decisions. Um, so really, really glad that you were able to see that and many others too. I know, I know several businesses were able to receive that funding and a side note, if, if you were available for that funding and you said no to it because you were like, Oh, I'm not going to take all this money, just take it. Everybody's taking it and you're going to pay it back eventually, whether you got the money or not, you're going to pay it back in inflation. You're going to pay it back in taxes. So you just go, go and get it if you haven't already. Um, so I, I, the core offering, I want to jump back just a little bit. I know we were talking about that before you you talked about the, the fortunate circumstances that you have. Um, it's so important to know that core offering because it does allow you to get that depth. And so so many times we're trying to get that breadth so that we can serve more people. But once you have determined your market and your target audience inside that market, yeah. you're able to go deep with them. And when you're able to go deep, you're able to be, have expertise. You're able to have better systems. You're able to have yeah. you know better timing. Uh, that allows you to really differentiate yourself, which really gets us into our next uh, point is that you 
you need to have a unique value proposition. And absolutely, I want to define for listeners a unique value proposition as the reason customers choose you other than price. So not because we're the cheapest or even the most expensive. That's right. Uh, but why, why, do, why do people choose you? Is it because you're so attentive to their actual needs and you truly understand them? Is it because you have you know, the best location and the best service inside that area? Uh, is it because you do it faster than anybody else? What is it that separates you and sets you apart and allows you to differentiate from the competition so that people want to buy from you? Um, so anyways, all that being said, I, it sounds like you've got a unique value proposition for, for QXP that you know, you've, you've already talked about it. You're in Vegas, you're in Orlando, you've got everything you need to be able to run a successful uh, event for their, their booth. And so um, how, what do you hear from your customers about your unique value proposition? What are, that's, that's when I think it's the most successful is when you hear it directly from the customers. And I was like, man, we're going to work with you again because boom. Yeah. What is it that you hear? So in my world, um, the, th the things my, my customers, the partners, the, uh, the, the builders, the agencies, um, the exhibit resellers, um, they, they, by the time they come to us, the first thing they're looking for is speed or responsiveness. Um, and I yeah. understand that. They're not coming to me six months before and going, hey, Chris, we'd like you to work on this project. Their customers are coming to them in the 11th hour, right? So, you know, I told you we're an eight o'clock to midnight fulfillment for a lot of people. You know, it's not exciting when they come at 11.15, Khalil, right? Everybody's panicked <laughs> at that point. So we, we, we obviously would like a little more time. But I, I think, um, you know, when they say we need you to build this thing for us, um, we get the fact that you really, I know you're asking for the thing and the things we're going to deliver but you're paying us for an experience, right? You're really wanting this to be a hassle-free, your, 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 your blood pressure is probably elevated because you've tried to figure out how you're gonna build this in-house first, right? And then you're realizing there's no way we can make this work because the round-trip freight costs from East Coast to West Coast or West to East is, it's gonna eat up a, a, just a ton of it. And you know, the union labor rates and there's a hanging sign and there's four unions to touch it, that's gonna eat up a bunch. And so, how do we build this affordably? And they go, hey, what about calling those guys that are in Vegas or those guys in Orlando? And, and so it really wasn't, the, you know, there was no ego involved in, we want to be in Las Vegas. We want to be in Orlando. We know where most of the events take place. And, and Chicago's right up there. But we picked two. And, and we said, what, I'm going to make a huge investment for a group of, of companies um, in advance, I'm going to build a facility. I, so, you know, the press release isn't out yet, but we're about to make a $5 million investment over the next five years to reopen in, in Las Vegas. That's space, that's people, that's equipment. And we're doing that for people that are, are going are gonna to need help there. Um, I'm not at, interested in the occasional sort of walk-up business. I'm literally going door-to-door -door with the people that I think we, we'd be a good partner for and saying, I've researched you and I've learned about you and I know you do a lot of activity there and I know you build your own stuff and, and have your own labor office or, or maybe even have a, an office where you store your clients' properties there. But maybe you don't build there and you need somebody, um, you need another option there. So um, our value proposition is we're forward deployed in the right locations. Um, speed and response time we're good. We've made um, a, a, a seven-figure investment in inventory, um, like, you know, pre-engineered wall systems and custom counters. And we've put, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 counters and, and you know, a, a couple of thousand frames in these places. So if you call us, we can be responsive quickly. They're, I'm basically saying we're willing to accept the risk by doing this and we'll accept that for you um, will, will you commit to us if we hang our shingle out? And if the answer is no, I'm okay with that. We just, we just, we're not the right fit for everybody. That's a no, thank you. We'll find a yes, please. But I think if we have the right two or three or four dozen partners, um, we really, they're going to have an advantage. Um, you know, I, 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 I was thinking about Amazon prime the other day, Khalil, and are you, do you, do you shop on Amazon? 
I do. My wife does a lot okay. more than me, though. And, and is, she, <laughs> is she a prime member? Do you know? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're okay. absolutely prime so, members. And, I don't know anybody who's not a prime member so, at this point. Okay, so it's funny. I am too. <laughs> my wife is, by the way, why we have separate prime accounts, I don't know. It's $189. Oh. It's $189 <laughs> annually to be a prime member. But why do you do that? Because your, your stuff ships freakishly fast. There's some advantages where you feel the value of that membership. And I just think that's almost like what I'm envisioning is you know, we, yeah. you, you, we, you may be able to a la carte, pretty please, dice and slice it up and find the 10 things we're going to deliver, you know, a dollar cheaper in all these areas. But we're hoping you won't begrudge us a nickel's worth of profit in order to put it all together for you quickly, professionally, uh, in a, and deliver it in a hassle-free way. Because we do have our own labor contracts in that market and our own inventory and our own straight trucks. And so anyway. That's our, our UVP is, hey, man, we're, we're, we're as good as you. Um, we're an extension. Use our, <laughs> use, have our people become your people. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and that's it. We're the guys behind the guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think you know, we, we've talked about so many things that allow you to understand the business that you're in at a core level. But Probably one of the most important things I alluded this to, uh, alluded to this in the analogy uh, of basketball is that you've got to be able to keep score. Yeah, and none of what we've talked about so far matters if you don't know how to keep score. And what I mean by that is you're playing basketball and you can't see the scoreboard and you're not keeping track of the points. It doesn't matter how many threes you make, how how, how hard you can dunk the ball, how good you are at assists. None of it matters unless you know what you're playing for. And in business, the objective purpose, not subjective, like I'm in business because I want to do this or because I want a flexible lifestyle or because I love working 80 hour weeks. Uh, but uh, the objective purpose of business is to create cash and turn cash into more cash. And if you're not earning a profit, then you can't effectively do that. Uh, so you, your margins, you need margins. This is the last part of understanding what business yeah. you're in. Too many times, doing all these things really allows you to have really good margins because you've differentiated yourself, because you know exactly who you're targeting, because you understand your market really well, because you have a vision for your company. But uh, there's too many times that people are, what's the quote uh, that I read the other day? There are so many accidental nonprofits in America <laughs> because so many businesses are just running at break even or honestly losing money. Yeah because they're saying yes to everybody. And it, it's something that you have to understand. The best businesses focus on margins. So why shouldn't you, right? Um, don't worry about the all the things that we've talked about today, like reputation or saying yes to this because it's a good partnership or whatever. Where are your margins? Um, and I, I think that COVID probably exacerbated this. Would you agree? Absolutely. Like people started to realize, oh crap, <laughs> like I can't do this. You know, there's a... Uh... I think it's a, uh, a devotional reading passage I remember is even a drowning man will grab the blade of a sword to try and save himself. So I think Ooh. in COVID and coming out of COVID, right, we were all so desperate to save ourselves. The things that we were willing to grab and take on for business, um, you know, I and I no apologies when you're in survival mode, but at some point you, you know, we're, and the good news for our industry is We've we've moved past that, so um, now we're doing business with more purpose. And um, like I said, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be in a situation where I can say no, thank you, and I and I take no pleasure in doing that. I'm just trying to apply the the disciplines that you and I are talking about, right? And that is, um, you know, I so in 20 really we we realized mistakes we were making just before COVID, and then. 2018, we realized that. In 2019, we said, "We want the joy back. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna break up with the discount your way to victory buyers." And so, um, a few of us went on tour to see our customers. I think at the time we were doing business with 381 different, you know, industry partners, uh, and we cut it down to 171. And so, the Griffin brothers were in doing Panera breakfasts and catered lunches in all these places. And I remember in one particular uh, shop, there was about 10 salespeople and project managers. And we said, 
we're here to kind of tell you who we are and now who we're not going to be. I remember the head of project management, she's taking a bite of her blueberry muffin and she goes, wait a minute, are, are you breaking up with us? Are, are these breakup muffins? And I said, uh, <laughs> I said, well, no, no. Um, but it's, it's important for me to, that you understand who we are and who, and who we're not, because we're, we're gonna, we just realized we're not a good fit and we don't want to disappoint you and let you down. And so we, my, my point is this. So we cut our customers in half in one year. Our business still grew 15% top line, which wasn't a big deal in 2019. Everybody grew that. But our, our earnings, our, what we got to keep, the net income, was up like 400%, Khalil. I mean, this is a tough, yeah. I mean, there's a, I know, I know I can, I can name a hundred companies in this industry that kill themselves for two to 5% earnings. And this is a really hard business yeah. for that kind of return. You know, the, the smart ones have figured out how to be in that 12 to 15 or even higher um, net income zone. And that you to your point, that's exactly why we're in business, right? We're not in, I'm not, yeah. I'm not in business to collect aluminum frames. I would love to pay. Dan Griffin in aluminum frames, but he insists we collect dollars, right? We don't collect product. We don't collect stuff. We collect dollars so we can, you know, help our employees have better lives and those things. So that's kind of our yeah peek at that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that ob objective purpose of turning cash into more cash is what allows you to have your subjective reasons for being yes. in business. Because you want, I mean, if you, but if you're not doing the objective purpose, the subjective can't even happen, right? So just, just remember that next time you uh, decide to discount on that project or whatever it might be. Um, man, we, we've talked about so many great things today. I'm going to recap it for everybody really fast. One, you've got to know what business you're in, right? And you do that by having a vision, a market, a target audience, a core offering, a unique value proposition. And finally, but probably most importantly, you have margins. Um, all those things, it's, it's gonna allow you to focus, it's gonna allow you to hire well and build a better team of happier employees. Uh, it's gonna allow you to build systems and uh, those systems are also gonna allow you to fire yourself from your company so that you can have a profitable, profitable business that runs without you. And then it's also gonna allow you to work on your business and not in your business. Rather than putting out fires and sitting inside you know, meetings you don't wanna be in and you know, dealing with problems that you really don't have time to solve, you're going to be able to focus on what is our vision? Where are we going? And, you know, we call that the push through when you are in the middle of all these things and you do want to work on your business so that you can understand what game you're in and what business you're actually in. You've got to push through yeah. uh, where you you are doing double time, but it's absolutely worth it. And that's, that's the ultimate goal. Uh, Chris, we've, we've got one takeaway that someone can actually go and do after listening to this episode. And it's to define the business that they're in and understand and clearly define what their vision is for their company. Any tips for anybody as they go into that? I think it's just that if you do that exercise and you write, what business am I in? And maybe just put in writing also what business you're not in. It's liberating to see <laughs> that side by side. I know this sounds like it's a super scary thing to do. I will tell you, it's absolutely liberating. And the clarity you get, and all of a sudden, you know, when you realize this thing and here's what I'm not, you see that list, there's a lot of other baggage in your life you can let go of. Um, and, and it's, and it, again, for personally speaking, it was, um, it was a, a wonderful awakening. And, uh, and I, I don't know, um, yeah, I, I, I bet a lot of companies are in this position. I don't know a lot of people before yeah. COVID I couldn't get off the ride to clear my brain, to spend the time to do that. I was so busy with the climbing and the chasing and the, and the doing. And so um, who's to say 10 years from now, I'm not going to say this all was worked out for the best, but I do know that um, <laughs> we're in a much better place now. And I hope that's the whole purpose of this podcast is discussions like this uh, that we're going to be able to um, get some conversations going and hopefully we, we, uh, add some guests that can actually contribute to this as well. And we're, we're all building better, more profitable businesses, stronger companies, more lasting partnerships. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Hey, it, it's, it's not easy. It's going to take time. It's going to take really a lot of thought to do this work. 
and it's probably going to lead to some hard decisions. Uh, maybe not if you're still building back from COVID, you've had to click reset already. But if you've already built back over the past year, you may have to click reset again and let go of employees or let go of space or let go of some sort of expense because it's just not going to be a part of who you yeah. are anymore. So, we're, it, you know, it, it leads to hard decisions, but it leads to the right decisions. Yeah. So, um, man, Chris, this has been great. I appreciate, appreciate your time. You. And yeah, man. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Follow us. Listen, share this episode with anybody you think will find it interesting. We'll see, see you on the next, next episode. episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Experience Builders Podcast. Check out our website in the show notes or visit crewxp.com to learn more.